Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. I'm Kate Kennedy, your host. It is a point in time uh, in a certain week of the month. And uh, if you're new here, I'm Kate. I'm an entrepreneur and author, pop culture commentator. I've done this podcast for a couple years now. Uh, We talk about a lot of different topics related to kind of the millennial ethos. Might I suggest you start with uh, the episodes called Bridesmaids or about um, sororities, Mormon mommy bloggers. Talk about 2010's home decor and bar cart blanche. Anyway, there's a guide on in my Instagram at be there in five static feed that is like a guide for new listeners. There's also one on my website if you need it. That's beside the point. Um, so, OK, today's episode. Well, it's it's kind of evolved. Um, I I love to crowdsource people's stories about topics I'm interested in because I can talk about them all I want. But the more important part is to have perspectives and experiences that are representative of my listener base and not just based on my own experience. And something that I really enjoy hearing about and and believe in and um, think can be uplifting are when people tell stories of like impossible coincidences and signs and symbols and synchronicities, whatever you want to call them, the universe has your back. Uh, situations that seem so coincidental and uh, helpful in propelling a person forward, they see it seems impossible that they would be random. And you want to attribute them to something spiritual, right? So I had recorded this episode last week when I was kind of in like a weird headspace. You know, things are touch and go for most of us. But uh, I, I lost the episode. Like I... I recorded the phone call with Heather McMahon for something like fun and upbeat. I wasn't feeling right about the episode. And somehow in the process, I recorded over the audio, despite having like every means to not do that uh, because I'm so careful with it now. But as I was kind of reflecting on it, A, I think I wasn't in the right space to be recording that episode. B, I kind of just went straight into telling other people's stories because I was kind of in my own head and I'm like, nobody wants to hear more about me and just talk about myself too much and blah 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 and I kind of like withheld the entire reason of why this topic even matters to me and this week feeling like a little bit better for no other reason than I don't know I'm moody uh when I am now sitting down I'm kind of like what what is the point of all this if I'm not opening up if I'm not sharing what why would anybody even be here if like they can't bear to listen to me talk about myself and just want to hear the crowd thing? If that's the case, more power to you. But like inevitably, I'm going to talk about myself on my own show. And um, I just it's it's not fair for me to ask you guys to open up to me and for me to like sit here and be like, no, I think that's too personal. Or I don't think anybody cares. A big part of it, too, is that I have I on my previous episodes, I've explained my business story and a lot of it involves these anecdotes um, that were like signs that helped move me forward. And I was worried I'd told it too many times, but there's a lot of new people here. I don't expect you to listen to like the entire four hour story of my business. And this is more condensed and I'll just pull out the more, you know, extract the more meaningful parts to me that we're somewhat spiritual. And beyond that, I elaborate more on like why stuff matters in a more personal way than I have before. So, um, you know, hopefully even if it's familiar to you, you'll stick around. But it actually I kind of feel good about it. I, I I think that, you know, the point of vulnerability is isn't to be um, isn't to open up and be honest when it's convenient to you. It's to do so in the absence of, of a knowledge of, of a positive feedback. Right. Um, but for me to be able to record it 
in an open and honest way I have to be in the mood to share. And I don't know. I think there was a reason I, it didn't work out last week, so I'm not mad about it. But just an FYI, if you want to listen to just other people's stories, I'll probably talk about my own experiences in the context in this episode and do a second episode with more stories, as I kind of usually do. So think of this episode as me and the second one as other people. But let's see. I wrote down a few lighthearted things, pop culture things I wanted to touch base on. But now that I'm looking at this list... Perhaps I should add journalists to the list of multi-hyphenate claims I had earlier because all it says, Ada Warhead, Sour Candy, Early 2000s, High Volume of Candy Songs, Coincidence? And, um, <laughs> I wrote that 10 minutes ago and I don't really know what I was getting at other than, yes, I did eat a Warhead right before this broadcast. And if you think it's a good idea to eat a mouth-puckering uh, sour candy right before speaking for a long time you'd be sorely mistaken i'm, I'm not so much of a, of a professional as i am a child at a 1990s members only swimming pool that had a glorious snack bar that i probably fished for change in the bottom of the pool to be able to afford whatever candy was available in the plastic bin and i used to use warheads kind of as you know my ammo to uh impress people because I have a high tolerance for sour candies and I think I thought I'd get a boyfriend if I popped a black cherry and acted virtually unaffected so as to show off my incredible palate. <laughs> and you can imagine that wasn't effective. Black cherry is the most sour, I think, followed by the blue. Uh, there was a period of time where warheads were like super popular and making a crazy face while you ate one was like the silliest thing ever. I have always preferred sour candy to even like chocolate and the like. But I've got to say, I, I tip of the cap to Warheads because I just ate one. And um, compared to, uh, you know, several decades of eating like Sour Skittles and Sour Patch Kids, specifically on planes and in movie theaters, that just tear up the roof of your mouth with, you know, sugar coating that is just a series of tiny little hatchets. Um, uh, warheads are pretty smooth on the uh, the old interior relative to other sour candies. And I haven't had one in years. It was pretty good. Is Hatchet the right? Is that right? Because now all I'm thinking of is like Gary Paulson's novel. Uh, and I can't. It means like a small axe, I think. Uh, I know what you're thinking. Kate, please, in order, list off the first three things you think of when you hear the word Hatchet. First, Gary Paulson's novel. Second, Taylor Swift bearing hatchets, but keeping maps of maps of where she puts them. Third, a small axe is how my this circuitry, my, my brain just went through. I think what I meant by the notes is, so I uh, there's a separate episode with Hitha Palipu I recorded about Jessica Simpson's memoir. It's a bonus app that I'll post for those of you that read it or listened to it and then told me to because you know me better than I know myself and I resisted for two months and then I read it and had to stay up all night because I had to finish it. I liked it so much. Um, I was just thinking a lot about uh, the early days in the late 90s and aughts of the female semi-sexy, you know, young pop solo artists, not to be confused with the divas like the Mariahs, Celine's, Whitney's. I know they were um, solo also, but I mean, Brittany, Christina, Jessica, Mandy, who I'd argue are the, you know, fab four. Uh, Brittany and Christina obviously being the sync and Backstreet Boys, if you will, the heavier hitters. Coincidentally, independent of their relationship, I would liken Jessica Simpson's fame and in ranking similar to that of 98 degrees and i'd put mandy more in like more of an lfo o-town zone but i was thinking mandy moore's song candy she recently talked about missing someone like candy makes no sense and but i'd argue 
until I started eating so much candy during this quarantine, I didn't realize how much I missed it. And now that song takes on a new meaning. But then I was also asking myself, did that start a whole string of uh, music using candy as euphemism? Because when you read the lyrics, they're kind of inappropriate. And then that got me thinking about Aaron Carter's Aaron's Party, parentheses, Come Get It, uh, an album and song I love about the most wholesome house party. Um, that uh, also, side note, I've been watching uh, Provo's Most Eligible. It's The Bachelor, but for Mormons. Basically, it's like a kind of a low budget YouTube operation. And if it's on YouTube, you know it's good. And it's the format of The Bachelor, but for students at BYU who are all like 18 and 19 think they're like prehistoric and aging by the minute and must get married immediately. It's so cringe-tastic. Thank you to Adrian Cooper for introducing it to me. And I've been trying to get everybody on board. <clears throat> Believe it or not, the se second season is better than the first, and I found the first to be pretty damn funny. But I say that because the way they talk about, like, partying and going to dances, but, like, they, you know, don't drink or have sex. Uh, Provo's Most Eligible is basically one giant Aaron's party, parentheses, come get it, where the the action and drama is is so wholesome it is you know akin to that of a kid spilled juice on my mom's new cushion i turned around another kid broke a lamp but aaron carter released a song soon after mandy moore that was i a cover of i want candy which is also a mature song that was sung by adults in the 60s but he sung it to a you know christmas time lizzie mcguire in a silver liquid metallic pant that was both futuristic and nostalgic and then I was thinking, well, interesting, Marcy Playground had sex and candy, 50 Cent at the candy shop. And then, you know, songs like Laffy Taffy, Lolly Lolly Lollipop will forever, you know, ruin my impressions of otherwise innocent candies. And you guys know how I feel about when edible items are ruined by innuendo via music, i.e. my now issues with truffle butter, a thing I once genuinely enjoyed. That stream of consciousness was important and relevant. <laughs> What's good is I went through kind of a, a period where I like was feeling, I mean, you know, my moods oscillate hour to hour. But the past two weeks, I was kind of feeling like so blah that I was having trouble talking. Um, but this week, I feel back to my normal self, which is cooped up, needing people to talk to, having way too much to say. And therefore, I take it out on here. Uh, but I have been promising this episode for a while, so I will keep the uh convo to a minimum about getting gary paulson's hatchet <laughs> like um you know the same with uh cheetos puffs and uh oots cheese balls if you, if you anybody's mouth needs a good sandpapering i recommend those foods so good yet not always worth the collateral damage uh i've been thinking about a ya novels a lot too like i posted the other day on instagram just like the cover of cynthia voigt's homecoming vote voigt uh, and people were like, oh, my God, this book. And yeah, it was like a big deal at the time. It was mature, too. I read it way younger than I was supposed to. I stole it from my sister's room. I also think I stole Where the Heart Is, which annoys me that now I'm picturing Ashley Judd and Natalie Portman, because I hate that when you read a book, then see the movie, you can't unsee the cast. And Novelty Nation was not the smoke show that is Natalie Portman crowning in aisle six in the Walmart, you know, <laughs> when she gave birth. It, it, it's just tricky when, uh, I don't know. Anyways, that was a good book. and. I also was obsessed with Caroline Cooney's The Face on the Milk Carton because I don't know about you in the 90s, uh, but for me, it didn't seem so much as like a chance or hypothetical so much as it was a fact that I can and would get kidnapped from my home uh, in my childhood bedroom at some point because 
that's just what happened to kids as they got kidnapped. Don't you feel like that was like a big topic of conversation? I mean, it's still a problem, obviously, but for some reason, both kidnapping and fires, I was hyper aware of uh, as a child, despite their likelihood of happening relative to things I had no awareness of that, you know, did happen. It's, it's funny how that works, you know? Like, you know, thank God I learned about uh, deciduous and coniferous trees and all of the biomes. But God forbid you tell me what a mortgage is in high school. I, I truly found out when I was maybe like 24 that it was rude to ask somebody if they owned their house. Anyways, back to getting on topic. Um, so, yeah, if you're if you're looking for things to do this week, I can't recommend enough Jessica Simpson's memoir. I can't re- recommend enough watching Provo's Most Eligible on YouTube. Just, you know, look it up in the search bar. Um, I can't recommend enough, uh, trying to sort through your confusing feelings about John Mayer following reading or listening to Jessica Simpson's memoir. She really does dish. And I, I, my resistance to memoirs is often that the press tour tells you everything in the sound bites, and then all the rest is just filler. And I'm not a big fan of the way people speak about their childhood experiences in memoirs. I find that it often is like, a little bit boring and insular and like i know i talk about nostalgic stuff in childhood all the time but i try to like focus more on like the topics and my personal experience or something like people can hold on to whereas when a celebrity is just like telling me about their hyper specific story of these people i don't know in a context i don't really understand i'm just i'm lost however i was enamored with everything about this memoir and um then i'll talk about it too in the bonus episode that uh i recorded about it but it basically is a longer extended confirmed version of the lyrics of Dear John. Uh, and I bring that up because the, I like a lot of aspects of the, the way he talks, his speech, his personality, the way he assembles sentences, his word usage. I, I, I linguistically find him fascinating and stimulating. Um, even like, I like his music, but I don't really listen to it that much other than this one song called Comfortable that I quite like. And hearing the, that couple on that awful Bachelor spinoff that's trying to be a star is born, saying Gravity really um, brought me back down to earth in terms of me not contributing my eyeballs to utter garbage because that was the worst show I had ever seen. And I highly suggest you don't waste your time. And I, I'll, I'll watch a Bachelor spinoff, but not this. But anyway, I bring up John Mayer to get back on topic because he did an episode of Current Mood two, maybe three weeks ago. And he brought up a very good point and used a very good analogy I wanted to share with a heavy caveat that, you know, I'm I'm on the fence about him character wise. While I believe people can and should evolve and anybody that reported out on how I treated them in a relationship in like, you know, 2005. I mean, granted, I was seven, 17, maybe, <laughs> you know, it's like one of those things where we've all been in so many bad relationships and like. So often our personalities aren't absolute in a sense that we behave the same way in reaction and response to everything and everybody. Our reactions and actions are, you know, kind of a product of the dynamic you have with somebody. And some people are crazy makers and drive you insane and shift your personality. And some people completely misunderstand and misperceive what you're saying or your intentions. Sometimes you genuinely do treat people like shit, but you move on and evolve from it. I never can decide. Um, and of course, you know, one person's good experience doesn't invalidate another person's bad one. So I don't want to be like, oh, he's funny on current mood. So he must not have hurt Taylor Swift or Je- Jessica Simpson. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he's 
riddled with worry about the stories that could come out about him uh, from his previous life, where I think he admittedly was a huge jerk. But, you know, he did his pilgrimage to Montana, bought a home, wore a bunch of Stetson hats and, you know, Aztec print wool ponchos and rethought everything and reached enlightenment as far as I'm concerned. But more on that later. By later, I mean in the Jessica Simpson episode. Um, but he, on current mood, he was talking about coping as it relates to the pandemic and, you know, how to you know frame happiness uh, with an analogy of electric circuits. I was, you know, I, I watched it time delayed and just couldn't believe that with his ability to form you know, linguistic gymnastics. He wasn't picking up on the fact that his show Current Mood was discussing electric currents and there was something there, but that's neither here nor there. He explained um, how there are two types of uh, electrical circuits. There are parallel circuits and series circuits. And the way uh, one typically would look at their happiness, sense of contentment, whatever it is, people often perceive it as a series circuit when it's perhaps a healthier, more balanced and compartmentalized approach to look at it as a parallel circuit. And a series circuit for, you know, let's say your happiness is, is a light bulb. To get from the, the power source to the bulb, the voltage needs to pass through every single component, every resistor successfully, and they all need to work in order to keep the lights on. And if you think about what makes you happy and all the different components of your life, work and friends, your uh, you know family, your relationships, if you think of it in terms of if one of those breaks down, they completely stop the, the current, they completely stop the flow of, of happiness because everything is channeled through everything. If you think of your life as a series circuit where all parts must be working simultaneously perfectly for the light to be on. Uh, that puts a lot of pressure on achieving an impossible level of perfection and satisfaction in all areas of your life for you to reach any sort of overall contentment. But if you look at it as a parallel circuit, uh, the great thing about parallel circuits is that even when one bulb, one resistor burns out, the other bulbs still work because electricity is not flowing through one path. There are multiple ways it can be channeled even if one piece breaks down. So when you think about your career, job, friends, family, whatever it is that keeps your light on, uh, I loved the metaphor of thinking at it, of it as a parallel circuit because if one of those things breaks down, the average of the rest still keep you happy. And you can add new circuits. You, you can still keep working and maintain your light. Even if multiple uh, bulbs, resistors burn out, but the voltage across one branch going through one of those components is the same as the voltage across all of the other branches. So your, your entire system is not contingent upon the performance of this one aspect of your life. And I, you know, I think in the event of something so much bigger than us and so much something so beyond our control going on, it's just so it, it's so much easier to just feel dim and feel like you really have no choice in the matter. And while I am not under the impression, nor do I want to suggest that people can control their thoughts or anxieties or anything like that, I think, if anything, I always want my message to be that nobody has the wherewithal to think their way out of anything mental health wise. We cannot help how, you know, help how we're wired to use another <laughs> circuit example. 
But I do like metaphorically kind of compartmentalizing. I like the visual aid almost of thinking of like, okay, what keep what keeps my light on? What keeps me powered? Um, what what all do I need to work? And um, what is working? And what is fine? And what in what areas am I okay right now? And how do I maintain those? Appreciate those? You know, exhibit my gratitude for those. So as to to keep them on and keep them functioning while there are other circuits that I can't control. And do I wish life would always be as bright as Clark Griswold's house in Christmas Vacation? Yes. Just as Taylor Swift wished to shine like fireworks over John Mayer's sad, empty town, I wish to, you know, blind my neighbors in the form of haters like Todd and Margot with, with my shine. I wish to be as bright as the gorgeous cascading canopy of delicate fairy lights that cost more than my net worth that were merely up for two hours at Mexcal's butterfly-themed bridal shower. That's the level of brightness I want, but we just can't always get it. And sometimes we are manufacturing our uh, the, the ambiance of our soul. We are KJP out here in the New England fall, just straight-up photoshopping fairy lights into anything you can get your mitts on. To make it appear cozy, even if the reality isn't that way. And that's okay, too. If you want your golden retriever sitting in a hot tub in a photo you put up on Instagram to make everyone think, huh, that mug of cider next to that golden retriever, his, because he doesn't have opposable thumbs. That feels manufactured for the photo. And that's okay. Now I'm just going to get hung up on how influencers use twinkle lights and we're really, you know, getting far from the analogy. But my point is, I think that... This is overshadowing uh, so many things, and it's so easy to just kind of let everything else feel broken down in the process. And even though these problems are very real and people are suffering and it's a scary time that we need to take incredibly seriously, I also think the more um, you can recognize the things that are working and that are keeping you afloat and nurture those, uh, all the better. A small example for me is like, I, I truly abhor cooking. Like I'm not good at it. I don't like, you know, I don't like the taste of most things I cook. I don't like to spend all this time only to indulge for a shorter time and to clean for a longer time. It's never been my thing, but the past few weeks, like I look forward to it. And that is one of my core parallel circuits, my core components. If every other part of my day breaks down, I really enjoy like focusing on dinner. I'm making HelloFresh, who's not sponsoring this episode, but they've supported the podcast. And, you know, I've modified it. I, I don't make the chutneys. I don't pickle everything in sight like they ask me to, but I make it work for me. And I've gotten to a point where it's become part of my routine and I genuinely love it. And it keeps my light on because if every, if all else breaks down, at least I can sit down and enjoy a meal and feel like I did something. And, you know, but anyway, thanks to John for that analogy. I don't know if I explained that well, um, but I, I just I, I will literally have drawn like a circuit and been like, these are the things that keep me from fully breaking down. And when you really think about it, there are a lot of it. There is something to journaling, to, 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 to gratitude listing, to just even drawing attention and awareness to the things you are appreciative of and want to further nurture, um, even though sometimes those are the, you know. The kind of documentation and the the exercises are the last thing I feel like doing when I'm in a tough place. But anyways, uh, moving on. So I've been promising this episode for a while. This episode, um, I asked for people to send in examples of uh, if they've ever received signs from loved ones, if they've ever experienced otherworldly coincidence that just seems like, you know, too coincidental to be random, um, if they've ever had kind of, you know, I didn't really ask for spook. I wish I'd asked for like spooky experiences and ghost stories too, because I would be interested in that. But today we'll keep it to more like up uplifting than scary. I just love like 
uh, crazy coincidences, signs, synchronicities, you know, pe- when people that feel like those have passed have communicated with them in some way. I love examples of uh, life and the the world as we know it uh, paling in comparison to something that is greater out there for us. I find it to be uplifting. And even though I, as a person, you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I have a lot of hangups with uh, organized religion. And I know it's the most, you know, perhaps more basic than me having a Britney Spears piece of me, Planet Hollywood glitter cup, is saying something along the lines of, I'm not like religious, but I am spiritual. Uh, But despite that, I do feel that way. Um, and I'd argue, actually, well, I'm an Enneagram for uh, the individualist, the romantic, the it's a, it is a spiritual number. And even though I don't subscribe to a ton of Enneagram related stuff, I do identify with this one because it's um, very much about how like people that are my number are rooted in, in purpose and meaning. And, and they're always seeking like what's missing. And a big part of my creative process and in my life and the, the way I communicate and like who I am as a person is always, I am such a seeker. Um, and I perhaps in the spiritual things I do subscribe to are affect me so deeply that I think that I grow frustrated with a lot of aspects of organized religion because I feel that something is sacred as spirituality to me when it is intervened and defiled by, you know, individuals that are misusing spiritual matters for control and for power and to, you know, require people to lead these lives of restriction and judgment instead of, you know, what I think any spiritual practice should be about, which is love and compassion and freedom. I I, I have trouble with anything uh, that is inherently restrictive, suggesting to me that that is your path to freedom, because that is a bunch of men telling you that you need to abide by their rules for their own personal interest in order to achieve something that is not provable because it requires a belief and a faith and is not a fact we'll ever be able to tease out and therefore that's how they gain incredible power over people hanging something like salvation over your head and i don't know if that makes sense i say that because it might seem like i'm not a very spiritual person given that i'm often quite agnostic and critical of uh some faith-based practices you know as evidenced in uh true love weights episodes about purity uh, you know the second episode of mormon mommy bloggers talking about like you know tithing and all that stuff i know that i've i've been like outspoken about prosperity gospel um and i stand by all of that but my point is i don't reject a lot of uh modern organized religious principles because i don't care about spirituality i reject them because i care so much about it and I and I find a lot of uh, man's interference with uh, spirituality and faith to impede on the sanctity. And I have a lot of like firsthand examples in my life that have been meaningful to me. And I, as a person, don't abide by any one code or belief system so much as, uh, again, kind of tying back to my Enneagram, everything I do is so based on intuition and gut. I either believe something fundamentally or I don't. I feel it or I don't. And that's why trying to bucket myself into like a one size fits all belief system doesn't work because I can't I can't talk myself into things. I can't intellectually align with something and then make myself feel it. I think some people really like guidelines and rules and directions and to have things fit nicely in a predetermined you know set of guardrails. <clears throat> but my only uh, barometer is I feel it and I agree and I've experienced it or I don't. And therefore, I piecemeal take from all sorts of things. 
that results in a belief system that is so highly uh, bespoke to my own intuition and soul that I don't even know, like share half the time sharing it or expressing it is like beneficial because it would seem confusing and subjective because it is in nature. Uh, and I also bring that up because I think the intersection of um, religious beliefs and like metaphysical principles, supernatural phenomena, uh, they, they they intersect, but they don't in necessarily like inform one another and they often contradict one another. And I think a lot of times people struggle, especially in a religious context, uh, embracing thoughts of, you know, whether it's something suggestive of like your soul operating in many bodies and reincarnation or being spoken to from somebody that's passed or whatever it is. Uh, I think those contradictions often drive people crazy and make them blind to things that they otherwise could be more open to. And I guess the way I operate is like I embrace the contradiction of opposing ideals that are based on things that are fundamentally not factual because if nothing can be definitively proven um i have no reason to argue for or against it but rather follow my own experience as a guide for what i deem to be its legitimacy so regardless of you know whatever you believe uh, spiritually about the afterlife or people's ability to communicate to you or coincidences or whatever of course there's so many arguments for and against you know whether seeing something and then it happening is a recency bias or oh like so often the electricity of the brain can play tricks on us and whatever there's always going to be all sorts of arguments all over the place uh, but they're all theories and i just don't think it's my job to poke holes in anybody's positive experience that enabled them to move forward more positively, more fearlessly. Uh, as long as you aren't taking something in the wrong way that would hurt somebody else that, you know, further pigeonholes you into your narrow and judgmental beliefs, but rather opens you up to broader, you know, spiritual principles that make you feel more hopeful. I don't think it's doing any harm. And I think in so many instances, these things help people grieve, which is so important. I personally want to live in a world where I can't, I, I can't necessarily control and know everything, even though I, I struggle a lot with that in my day to day in my more, um, you know, like present mind, a big picture. I find so much, there's so much more magic in believing you live in a universe that is so vast and full of possibility that this is but a pixel of the big picture. And and I want to believe in something that suggests I haven't lived out my my best days. I I want to live in a world where certain souls are so et eternally interconnected that they find each other despite being in bodies that are limited to only the you know conceptualizing our earthly experience. You know, I I, I think even the biggest know it all. You know, I challenge the biggest know it all out there. You know, eat an edible. Look out at the world. Look out at the sky and, and the and, and the stars and think of all of the different moments that had to perfectly align for all of the things you know and love and cherish in your life to happen and i don't know if you can look out on all of that your you know life experiences and you know the physical world as it is and think to yourself eh, this is this is rational this is straightforward i understand why all this is here how it got here and uh i have a good grasp on this like this is what it is this the this this entire world was just here so people can live here for the specific lifespan and then be done with it. And that's that, you know, I, I just don't think you can say that regardless of, of what camp you fall into with spiritual beliefs. And I just think that there are so many aspects of 
life that are a, a mystery that will drive you mad if you if you let them. But the other side of that coin is the joy of always hoping better days are in store and that the things that are important to us may physically leave us, but spiritually remain in our orbit. Uh, and I like to think of it that way because, I don't know, like when you learn about the solar system, well, first I should caveat, I do believe in science and like evolution. I'm not like, you know, I, 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 I there's a balance here for me of like, let's not, you know, be too in the clouds and be in denial of, uh, you know, the great strides mankind has made in uh, understanding a lot of aspects of our world scientifically. And, you know, we should not ignore the things we have, in fact, proven. Nothing grinds my gears like a science denier. Uh, but <laughs> I mean more so as it relates to your, like, individual soul. Because one thing, too, I want to caveat is, like, I think sometimes when you hear stories of, like, people who feel like they can communicate with people or if they, like, see a ghost or they see signs or whatever... Um, sometimes like spiritually hyper-connected people, it almost seems sanctimonious. It almost seems, or like there's, there's something special they have that other people don't like, why would somebody, you know, two people endure tragedies and one person hears from the person and the other not. And I don't think of it that way. I think of it as more of a function of your general openness to the concept in terms of you know you can't find something you're not looking for um but also how when i look back on a lot of my experiences a lot of the like uh signs and things i as they happened they didn't mean anything to me and i connected them later on uh i think a lot of times we they might be things that seem like commonplace or insignificant uh, unless you pay close attention and make record of them and connect them after the fact. One common thread I've noticed is like these things, if crazy things or coincidences or whatever happen, you have to write them down because if a lot of this for me wasn't interconnected with like some bigger themes and, and events in my life that I hadn't logged, I'm not sure I really would have overthought it. Um, but I think that, you know, the level of attention you're paying the general, you know, if you're fundamentally a seeker or not, or they, I don't want to say seeker or settler, but like, are you looking for more? Are you open to other things? Are are you actively uh, open and paying attention to something or, or not? And um, could something, you know, have happened that maybe didn't make sense at the time, but could in retrospect or with a particular pattern? Um like I've read a decent amount and talked to different people, especially in more Eastern belief systems that heavily emphasize the concept of a third eye, like your spiritual connectivity. And I do think there's something to that. That's a conversation for a different day that I almost perceive as um, like how how a radio is tuned to AM or FM and then a particular station and that these energetic things almost operate in frequencies that if someone's in tune to, they may see or hear or feel in a way that somebody whose tuner is off or tuned to something different and is not paying attention may not experience. And I know that's hugely oversimplified, um, but I just I never want anybody to feel that the, the, the absence of any of these types of stories in their life is a function of uh, anyone being more special than the other uh, or 
you know, and rest assured, any story that really speaks to nothing other than privilege, I would leave out. Uh, there's a funny meme that's like, did you manifest it or is it white privilege? Because, you know, I I have a lot of issues with like a lack of acknowledgement when things happen and materialize for you in a way that seems magical when really it's just a function of you always having had great access to immense you know, resources and connections that you put deliberate effort into capitalizing on for once, that's not manifesting. Um, and that's when the the privilege conversation comes into play. And I find these types of things insufferable. Like, I mean, I, I don't know, you know, I struggle with a lot. I, I've read like the Gabby Bernstein, Jen Sincero books. Some of it I like, some of it I don't, uh, because I think it there's a huge blind spot as it relates to privilege and a huge emphasis on material things. And like it, it, there's a suggestion of, you know, people who are suffering, who are systematically repressed like this, that they can think their way out of it. Like, no, I, I don't like metaphysics for mega hotties. Like, I don't like upper class pseudoscience being peddled as wellness. Like, I, I, I think fundamentally anything relating to something genuinely uh, spiritual the, the the baseline should be equal opportunity. There should be no cost barrier to entry to access something abstract and celestial. Like th- those are man-made contracts, constructs you're projecting onto something that should transcend any of that mattering. And I will rage against a, a, a member of the church, a psychic, a medium, whatever taking advantage of people's vulnerability in these arenas to capitalize and make money i uh, the jury's still out for me on some of them like i've i don't know i i I, again i don't know anything (laughs) my opinions all uh like i said don't fit in a box often will contradict themselves and i don't really know anything at all but what i do know is that i want the possibility of these things to exist and what i do know is that you know, anything having to do with our soul has nothing to do with how much money you can pay somebody or tithe to your church or, you know, a crystal you bought off of Poosh that's going to, you know, bring you abundance. So on the one hand, I'm very judgmental of a lot of things. (laughs) On the other hand, if it's your own personal experience that brings you joy and peace and closure, I'm all for it. And I and I think there's something, too, of like women's interests being trivialized and a lot of things being written off as woo that are perfectly fine practices or, you know, to believe in or to purchase whatever. I I don't really care. I guess like I, I feel like I used to be a lot more into like reading this stuff and paying attention. Um, and I used to be a little bit more in the woo realm because I had like some personal connections to it. And in recent years, I've gotten out of it because I felt like. There's been this commodification and exploitation of it that makes people seem, so, you know, so like they're more special than other people and they just seem really out of touch. And it turns me off like I used to listen to this podcast where they were obsessed with that. Um, but I do have to laugh anytime people that love these like manifestation universe gurus they talk about like manifesting material, like physical things that just like do not matter. And that I would hope the the, the grand universe would not have in store for me because they're so relatively unimportant. Like I used to listen to this podcast. They talked about their like intuition and like their purpose and intention, getting them like the office furniture they dreamed of and like a Toyota Prius, you know, a I'm like, that is so sad if 
you believe in this great and powerful and all-knowing universe and you know you're so moved because they nudged you and gave you a sign but they did so in the form of an energy efficient sedan like that's great it's a nice car it's sustainable i respect the angels for going green but like i don't know i would hope they would do something a little bit more profound for me you know send send love and light and success and uh you know familial health and safety my way i'm good on the japanese sensible car uh secondly per the japanese sensible car i love a toyota i love a honda they'll last you forever i'm not a car person whatsoever but if it was you know within my power to manifest my own vehicle i don't know if that would be my first choice (laughs) you know i've heard the chrysler pacificas are the perfect solution for your family it's like a multimedia powerhouse it's got all dvd players everyone has a usb port it's like my 10 hour long family trips to holidays would have been a hell of a lot less painstaking and we would have had so many less sibling arguments if i didn't have to play freaking i spy or try to get the nearest truck driver to toot their horn it's amazing really maybe get like a tesla you know i just want a car that screams you know puncture my tires key me because i'm loaded you know that's that's a real f you money like in the, in the city in Chicago, people that have insanely expensive cars without garages is so interesting to me because m- a lot of urban dwellings don't have a covered parking. A lot of people do street parking. And I mean, we live in Chicago. It's uh, definitely not the safest place on earth. And I look at the crime radar and there's just so many crime uh, car related crimes in my neighborhood. And like, it's just interesting to me. I know there's not really a lot you can do, but I guess I find there's some BDE and, you know, wanting that kind of car it being a target and being like whatever it's replaceable i've just i've got that kind of money this is why i always tell you i want to get a uh, purple geo tracker with a teal racing stripe nobody's going to break into it i look fly as hell driving it it's like the kirkland or the great value brand of a jeep wrangler with like a a smaller uh padded takedown back window roof that it it, it's like a toy car it it, they crack me up i really want one i like i love a car like uh, before 95 there's something about like the the steering wheel and like roll down windows and the interior of an older car that's more industrial that i like more so than the padded sleek and rounded edges of modern cars again i i know nothing about cars and i just told you i want a purple geo tracker with a racing stripe it's very 90s very barbie i just think it's smart to get a vehicle that not only would you lose money on uh, it has absolutely no, you know, substantial retail value, but it also also even if you steal, it makes you look considerably less cool, despite the fact that you just stole a car. It's really the perfect balance of, of everything. And maybe hopefully I'm manifesting it as we speak. Anyways, I digress. It's kind of fun knowing that people have more time and that I don't have to like, I, I mean, I always ramble, but I'm just kind of speaking from the heart and trying not to worry about it. And I hope you're enjoying yourself. I will get into stories now. I'm not trying to stall, but I could muse about these sort of deeper topics forever. But first, I do want to thank our sponsor who is keeping, you know, this podcast alive and well this week. And even better, that is actively solving one of my uh, greatest hurdles in my work from home days, uh, which is Liquid IV. Liquid IV is something I... I'm newer to as of the past six months that I genuinely love because I think that like, I'm not like an elite athlete. I'm not, I'm not in the mines here. I'm just, you know, out here like podcasting and sitting at my computer and writing emails all day. But 
it doesn't mean I don't need to be just as hydrated as the next guy. And I'm the first to forget to drink water. And I will have all of the symptoms like headaches, dizziness, brain fog, you know, muscle fatigue, dry skin. And I'll be like, what on earth could be happening? This is wild. But I just I need to be drinking more water. But for some reason, I have trouble prioritizing it. And that's a big reason I'm obsessed with liquid IV, because one stick and 16 ounces of water uh, hydrates you two to three times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And they taste good. And beyond that, they're good people. They have donated more than two and a half million servings to date to places like Haiti, Uganda, Puerto Rico and Nepal. They're donating to healthcare facilities and food banks around the U.S. And with each purchase you make, they will donate a serving to a person who needs it the most. And I love that. And it just couldn't be more timely, you know, given the humanitarian aid they're providing, but also in terms of us taking care of ourselves and needing to boost our immunity, get better sleep, stay healthy. I just uh, think it's a great time to give it a try. And fortunately, you can get 25% off if you go to liquidiv.com and use code be there in five at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order on Liquid IV's website. Just go to liquidiv.com and enter promo code be there in five to save 25% and get better hydration. And just to clarify, I always try to, this co- promo code is F- be there in F-I-V-E, not the number five, just like the show is spelled. So go to liquidiv.com, use promo code be there in five, save 25% and start properly hydrating today. Anyway, so I don't know if I was making sense earlier. I just kind of, I, I have so many different thoughts on all of these areas. And in some ways they intersect, some ways they don't. And I'm probably interchangeably and like talking about things incorrectly. But I guess the bottom line is I want people to believe what they want. If it works for them, it makes them happy and doesn't hurt other people. Um, but hurting other people is sometimes acting like your fortune is solely attributed to your own uh, will and mind power when there's so much more that goes into it and it does hurt other people to think that they don't aren't afforded the same opportunity uh but i didn't pick any of those stories because that's not what i'm here for what i am here for is to uh, really advocate for believing in anything you've personally experienced and for other people not to poke holes in something personally meaningful to you that has helped you get through something difficult i think it's so important to believe in something greater than us regardless of what it is and important to pick and choose what you accept based on where your intuition and experience guides you and not where somebody else tells you you need to fit in. Um, and I just appreciate everybody for being open with me and, and for sharing. I think that this sort of thing is uplifting, especially in times of uncertainty. I just want to double down on more uncertainty and tell you all the, the additional things we don't know. But I kind of think I've said this in a previous episode, but sometimes the broader uncertainty of it all actually gives me a bit of comfort in knowing that even if I tried to have full, utter control over everything possible, I I couldn't because my mind cannot conceptualize how much greatness there is out there, nor do I want it to, because I hope this is a mere fraction of my experience um, as a person, as a soul. And um, one thing, so a lot of you are familiar with the story. I'll try to like tell it quickly but maybe in elaborate more on stuff i haven't said about it one of the big things in my life that has been a, a sign and a through line and an important symbol for me that i i don't care what anybody says um because i always see it when i need to the most is my uh business logo you might have noticed not for the podcast but the doormat business it's a logo that is a hanging heart on a doorknob and this is kind of an example of things you won't don't really think are that notable in real time, but can kind of tie together after the fact. 
So I've talked about before how in college I was like struggling on so many levels, um, just figuring out and navigating my own mental health, not feeling like I fit in right. I wasn't having that much fun. I had bouts of depression. I just like college wasn't great for me in relation to like how much I loved high school. And um, while I found my footing at certain parts, one of the most important things I ever did that truly defined my life's trajectory uh, that is an immense privilege in and of itself is when I studied abroad in Switzerland. Fortunately, um, where I went to school, they have a program where you pay the same tuition and the same housing so long as you can get yourself abroad. Did this program in southern Switzerland near where I got married. Um, that probably makes a lot more sense now, too. It's Italian speaking Switzerland. And um, it's called the region's called Ticino. The city was Lugano. It's at the f- foot of the Alps. It's a m- beautiful, magical place that beyond the privilege of being there and getting the opportunity to travel. Uh, what was so important for me, my my spirit, my soul, my well-being was seeing uh, different parts of the world, different ways of operating, seeing there was more out there besides my small college town and my experience in a you know small area in Virginia. Um, and just like seeing how big and great and full of opportunity the world was, it just like opened up my headspace to see so much beyond my college, you know, frat boy woes and sorority experience. And um made it was kind of it sounds cheesy the first time i felt like myself um was when i was you know thrust into a country i'd never been to speaking a language i didn't know and uh traveling a bunch of new places i had never been i was with incredible people that i'm still friends with and uh i don't know it was just a transformative experience i'm incredibly lucky to have had and um like i can't emphasize how much it meant to me like that i literally went back to get married uh, about 40 minutes away from there um and i kind of wanted to start having like a consistent thing i collected when i was abroad and when i was i think it was the first time mm, i think i was in the netherlands uh the netherlands (laughs) no i was doing what every college kid did i went to amsterdam and went to a, a cafe not a coffee shop which are two different things at the time one sells weed and the other doesn't and ate part of a space cake and uh, danced on a bar singing It's Raining Men with my friends. I don't remember a lot other than making eye contact with like the two people in the bar and um, screaming, hey, all you weather girls, you know, the rest. Have we got news for you? Anyway, separate day outside of that experience, uh, I was shopping and I realized I had I was always seeing these hanging hearts everywhere. They would just like be random hearts made of different materials on a string at different shops when I'd be in different places. So I started picking them up, the ones that I could afford that spoke to me. The first one was a tin one on a pearl string. Um, the second that made me realize like, oh, I want to collect these. I, what I at the time called the best day of my life. I was um, in Nice, which was on the cover of my French textbook in seventh grade. Uh, that is the one I was named Ev. You know, I had a name in language class. Mine was Ev, like E-V-E. Um, you know, like, let me blow your mind. She had the, the, the paw prints on her tattooed on her chest. Um, I was like, yeah, I want to be Eve. And she's like, well, it's Ev, but great. Um, the, the view of like the shore of Nice was on my textbook. And I was just like, I want to go there so bad. And like, I always thought about like the French Riviera that I'd argue as an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. However, put, I'm putting myself in my 19 year old body and to me it is all it's cracked up to be i've been back since and i'd argue there's a lack of accessibility as it relates to wealth there that and i don't like touristy places that make access to culture seem like 
money is a barrier to entry when there's ways you can like live and operate there as people of all you know income ranges do uh you're just going to the places that are expensive because they're exploiting you for being a tourist right anyway (laughs) again not the point just letting the tangents happen today the the reason i provided that context is because there was i went there with a group i went off on my own for a day and it was like the best day of my life because it looked just like the pictures. I wasn't like overthinking it as like a person that was trying to spend a lot of money and do finer things. I just was enjoying it with the purity of a broke college student um, who accepted that as their situation. And I I love a flea market. I love a bazaar. I love a I love markets that don't necessarily involve food where you can discover new things and everything as a story and as a small vendor, or local vendor, ideally. And there's a like a large market called the Quai d'Italie that means the United States um, in Nice. And uh, I went off by myself. I was like, I had like wine intermittently. I just like perused the like aisles, if you will, of this amazing market. And like, I can't explain. I just was like, this is the best day of my life. This is who I am. This is me, <laughs> which is kind of sad because I was alone. But uh, I just really connected to it anyway. So before I left, I like locked eyes with this small brown insignificant heart that was in a pile of junk that um said chua et moi you and me on it it was meant for like i think you to put it in like a drawer you put like oil in it the back of it or something i don't know it was super old i've never actually opened it i wonder if anything's in it um but i just loved it so i had like you and me and it just spoke to me and i bought it and that was my second one i think and then i was like i'm gonna collect these i'm just gonna see if everywhere i go what maybe i'll see one sure enough everywhere i go i see one um and this happens throughout okay wait wait wait, sorry whoa 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 um okay go to i'm backing up because go to my instagram two weeks ago i mean when was this yeah okay so i ordered a bunch of like loungewear off of rent the runway from like you know how you can with rent the runway you like make you heart things that you like over time but like half the time everything you like or want is taken but when this happened like we've been stuck inside i was like let me just order all the loungewear but it's still available so i just added a bunch of stuff to my cart um before i recorded this um look at the video of me making a mask it's maybe like the second or third most recent video on my static instagram i'm wearing a sweater that says toi and moi and it has a huge ass heart on it and i didn't even put that together till just now and that's really funny that i rented that um and i just returned it today Man, I kind of wish I was wearing that. Anyway, just that's not anything that important. But it's funny. It didn't really occur to me that I was wearing that. Um, but the reason it's sticking with me is because I was trying to make masks for like people in my building and like, you know, the mail carrier and anybody I come in, cro- in contact with. And I had to use this like handheld sewing machine. And I went into my grandmother's sewing box, which has significance to the story that I like n- never really go into unless I'm like doing something very specific craft wise. And it's just funny that I was wearing that sweater while I went into the craft box to make myself a mask. Um, OK, so fast forward, uh, I get these hearts everywhere. Um, I have a big collection of them. And in my apartments, as I got older, um, I just put them on doorknobs because there's no really no way to like cleanly or nicely like hang them all together because they're all different. And the one default thing you can hang something on is a doorknob that's everywhere. So you can imagine when I accidentally started a doormat business, when I would take pictures of the mats to sell and the one I put on Etsy that ultimately went viral, I remember thinking, wow, it's so crazy because one of my hanging hearts was in the photo with my doorknob. 
Um, and as it like took off on the internet and I saw it on like Glamour and Cosmo and HuffPost and BuzzFeed and all these places, I was like, it's so funny that like that's my door and that's one of my hanging hearts. And any photo I took by a door had a hanging heart on it. So when my business kind of took off out from under me and I was trying to like scramble to figure it out, can't remember if I told the story and how I built this. I know I've told it on Patreon. I'm sorry if I'm being a broken record and I'm sure I tell it a little differently every time. Uh, so much time has passed now that it's kind of crazy, but I created a logo on, on PowerPoint. I didn't have like graphic design software and I was like, I'll just, I'm going to make it one of my hanging hearts. Like I've always collected them and I don't really know why. And now that I have like a vague flooring and door based company and it just happened to end up in the photos, it's perfect. So it becomes my business logo and, um, I kind of like, we'll start to see them at hyper specific times or like when I'm going through something and I've just always kind of considered it like a, a random like symbol that wasn't really connected to anything or anybody um, to the point where like I moved into my first uh, office. I still had a full time job. Things were crazy. I think a lot of stuff was like going on in like my life and family. It was like a stressful year the year I started to be there in five. The The business centered on my hanging heart. And um, when I went to go move into my first office when I it was like getting bigger and it wasn't stopping. Um, I rented an office space, which at the time was a lot of money and I was really nervous about it. And uh, I signed the lease and checked out the space and it was empty and it was fine. It was whatever. Uh, it wasn't anything nice. It was between like a therapist and a lawyer who had no idea what I did. Uh, and I was definitely out of my element, but I was like a little bit scared of like, okay, should I keep moving this forward or not? Because again, I had another full-time job and it was incredibly stressful. The day I actually moved in all my stuff to that building, um, the, the the 200 square foot room in the office building, I walk in and the previously completely empty, pristine, like spackled room, uh, there's one like picture frame hanging on the wall. And inside it was like this almost like cross stitched like print thing uh, that says, do what you heart, like do what you love. Um, and I kind of took a step back and I was like, I am so anxious about this. And this room was so empty before. And now there's this this thing hanging on the wall that says, do what you love. Um, but it says, do what you heart. And it's a literal heart hanging on my wall. And I was like, that's kind of funny. I'll take it as a sign. So fast forward through a lot of other things happening. And I just in my head, I felt like when I was like at my breaking point, at my limit, when I was barely hanging on, I would see a hanging heart as almost as like a sign to like keep hanging in there. I'm a very emotional person. I'm a very sensitive person. My heart is literally on my sleeve and on and on a string, <laughs> just hanging in there at any given time. And I just always felt like this was like a weird thing that I kind of associated with the broader universe. So my career, like there's a two year period. So I, I started to be there in five, six years ago. I left my job five years ago. And the five years I've been self-employed, there's a two year period that was dark, dark, dark. That was I got married within this period, which was the bright spot and the biggest distraction. And it was probably exactly what I needed because weddings like take over a part of your brain. Um, it, but it was like I spent all this time building up this equity at this other company. I was so good at the other job. People loved me there. I made a ton of money. I had a solid like career, you know, potential career there. Um, it was something I was good at, though I'd argue it was something I was not made for. And I always kind of felt like I had other talents and things to offer and things that were more abstract and not maybe as professionally refined that like I could get into, but like how and what. It's very hard to just like nominate yourself as tribute for some random ass career nobody asked you to do and then ask, act like everybody should be on board with it. So it was this weird thing where the doormat business, Be There in Five, was very much grounded in things that were so me. Like 
the, the name pertaining to one of my flaws, running a little bit behind, being about making your life a little bit easier, not beating yourself up about your shortcomings, about, you know, it being about working with your hands and hand painting and doing lettering, something I had done my whole life. Um, it, 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 me, you know, finding the entrepreneurial side of myself, like I met a, a version of me I would have never been introduced to otherwise had I not been put in the situation. There were so many positives about my entrepreneurial experience, and it was such an interesting story that people really like romanticized uh, as being like, oh, you followed your passion, you up and left your job, this and that and the other. But it got to a point where I was in it so deep and I had really streamlined the process. I had ramped up. I had moved to a bigger, more expensive office. I was in wholesale, wholesale at Wayfair and over 50 stores in the U.S. And I was in Nordstrom stores and like I just grown it to something because theoretically I needed to capitalize. But like my heart was not in it. Um, and I was like, so scared that like, I, I dropped everything and left everything to follow like a dream that had momentum, but I wasn't the right person to lead it. The, my passion wasn't in the concept or the content of the doormat itself. I felt like to be there in five brand was something else and was something bigger. And like, I was so attached to like the brand and the logo and like what it meant, but I didn't associate it with the, the, the math specifically, but I found myself in a position where I had absolutely no options. I had put my head down, ignored everything socially and otherwise, like I just worked my ass off on this business to make it happen and to make it run effectively for a couple years, only to be like, fuck, I don't love doing this and I don't want to be a small business owner. I, I like being an entrepreneur. I want to, you know, pursue my ideas uh, to start things and to to kind of pass them off. But I'm not really meant for like the grind of something so narrow when I feel like I have more potential in other areas, but that I had no idea how to explore. Uh, so I try to get high, rehired at my corporate job. I wasn't, there's other things going on in my life. That is always hard to tell stories because I can only speak from my side and I'm not going to drag other people into it. But it was just like, this was an, the, the, the start, the first like three, four years of be there in five was like intense on 20 different levels. I'll never be able to fully articulate, but this particular uh, January and February was like a very depressed, dark time when I felt so stuck. And um, I think that I struggled for a long time with being my own boss, not having any sort of direction and never knowing if I was making the right decision. Um, there's an element of ambiguity you have to tolerate leading your own organization leading your own initiative that I developed over time um, that I'm still not perfect with. But at the beginning, this is incredibly difficult and you do not know when you give up and when you press forward sometimes. And your the people in your immediate life's advice isn't always relevant to what you're doing. Um, so anyways, I was having a very difficult time. Uh, my now husband, then boyfriend was getting his MBA part-time so he was in school on nights and weekends and working full-time never saw him uh it was just like intense for everybody so in january i my mother-in-law is at my then studio where that has a bedroom and they're staying there and greg and his dad are at a, a bears game and um which is now interesting that my mother-in-law was there she's like an angel and a lovely delightful kind person that is I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast. I have the, I have incredible in-laws. Like, I am so, so lucky. Hit the jackpot. Uh, 
I hear the craziest stories uh, from people and I just don't even know what I would do in a situation where I couldn't stand to be around my husband's family. But I'm lucky because they are not only normal, they're wonderful. And uh, my mother-in-law was with me this day and she had brought me her sewing machine because I think I, at the time I was like, I need to venture into something else. I need to sell something else. I need to do something else. Um, I was just trying to be like, what else can I like scale and maximize handmade that'll maybe help me derive some like purpose from this? Otherwise, I'm just going to like, do I drop everything? Do I just like get a totally unrelated job? But anyway, so she was bringing me her sewing machine and I realized that I had a sewing box in my apartment because to backtrack. So I started Be There in 5 in 2014, left my job in 2015. In 2012, my grandmother passed away and she is who I, I, I learned how to like craft with like. I would sleep over at her house and we would use her sewing machine. We'd knit, we'd crochet. We'd just like always be making things. Um, we'd go to the craft store and like pick out new projects. In Richmond, it was Ben Franklin at the time. Uh, and it was always like she would sew my clothes. She would patch up my childhood blankie I still have. She patched up my jeans that ripped at the talent show. Um, she That was kind of like always our thing uh, was crafting and like making new things. And it was just a fun important part of my childhood that I, I really really cherish i imagine how some people feel comfortable like making their way around like the kitchen or like baking or cooking and just kind of have like a natural knack for like oh no i'm good i can figure it out that's how i feel toward anything like crafty um and and i largely attribute that to her and, and my mom who are also incredibly creative and crafty and make everything so special and um so my when my grandma passed away, she left me her sewing box that when I was little held the magic of like everything we ever made. It, it It's this piece of really neat mid-century modern furniture that looks compact, but it kind of opens up into like a three-tiered larger piece of storage furniture. And um, it has, you know, all the stuff for the sewing machine, the bobbins and the needles, but it also has uh, buttons and bows and old McCall's magazines and, and patterns from the, the 50s, 60s, 70s, it, it has like vintage notepads and scissors and ribbon. And uh, like it, it has so much cool stuff in it that I that I hadn't seen um, in a really long time, because before she passed, she had moved to a nursing home and moved out of her home. And um, she would put a post-it on the sewing box. So that's what she was leaving for me. And um, in 2012, you know, the past decade, I've lived in cities far from my hometown and I don't have a car. So I never actually got the sewing box that she left for me until we drove to see my parents in Ohio and they brought me the sewing box at Thanksgiving of 2015. This is two months before uh, they gave it to me, but I didn't have the heart to open it. I knew it was going to be kind of intense and emotional for me. And like, it would all come rushing back, you know, like the people you love, your grandparents, whatever they're, they're they have a specific smell. There's like, you can't touch or see anything of theirs without them, you know, the, the, the sensory experience being kind of emotionally intense. And as I open this box for the first time since she died and uh, she passed away before I started my business, had this logo, even had any awareness of my random collection feeling all of the things um and then i opened this sewing box for the first time and at the very top on top of everything first shelf when you open it and there's several shelves um is a heart on a string with my photo on it 
that I made. Actually, I just looked in 1992. I thought it was 1993. 1992, it's a, a hanging heart, a heart on a string that has my picture on one side. And on the back, it says to my Valentine grandma, uh, 1992. And um, when I tell you i made her every craft in the book we made a million things together i cannot emphasize how many things she could have kept that i gave her whether it's christmas easter you know her birthday us something we made together a school craft or otherwise you know parents know how many things kids bring home i made her so many things and it's like and i we did so much even when i was a lot older and this is something i made for her when i was i guess about five years old which is also funny but yeah i Bro, I stopped dead in my tracks. I um, I was like, I, I still kind of can't believe it. I, I can't, I just really can't emphasize enough, like, how random this symbol was, how she had no awareness of it, how much stuff I made her, and how after all these years, and even, you know, four years since she'd even passed away, that I never even looked in the box, um, this was sitting on top. And it was just at a time when I needed reassurance more than ever in this kind of sewing box represented my like inner child that was like always creating and dreaming and doing more. And, um, it just, it was the craziest coincidence to me that was like, wow, these, th like, I need to start listening. I need to start paying attention. Like these hanging hearts aren't just coming around for no reason. I, there's been so many instances since then where this box has come into play. And I swear it's like, I don't, there's got to be some fictional box that's similar in this sense, but every single time I need to find something in it, it's there and I haven't seen it before. <laughs> I I need to ask my parents if either of them opened that box in the four years they had it, but nobody, but I, ha but it didn't get to me. Um, also, I carry the hanging heart that I found in the box with me everywhere now. Um, I took it to both of my shows, even when I have shows in Chicago, it's in my backpack. It's like funny. I'm not superstitious and I'm not really like that about anything else, but, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's like, it's become such an important fixture to me. And in terms of the box, having things I didn't know was there. The other reason I was kind of like taken aback when I thought about wearing the twi ma, um, sweater when I was making masks is because I haven't opened her sewing box in a while but also because when I was like maybe I'll try out and make some masks I was like I wonder if there's any elastic in here I opened it and there's like a gallon ziploc of just like different types of elastic <laughs> and it's so like that that always happens um or like when I uh got when I was headed off to my wedding um I you know, wasn't very like bridal. I didn't, I didn't want to like wear white and something white and lacy and bridal at my rehearsal dinner. I wanted to wear pants. Like I wanted to wear a red jumpsuit with like a crisp blazer. Um, cause it was on a boat and I was very fixated on this. I found one red jumpsuit that I liked that fit me correctly. This was before jumpsuits were like ubiquitous and it was way too small. And I had to doctor it on the back, uh, to be able like I basically could only zip it halfway, but then I sewed it to make it look like the back was a V-neck and not unzipped, if that makes sense. <laughs> uh, but and I and it was like right before I left, I had no other options in my head. I was like, I'll just like lose weight and like fit into this. But like, no, it was ridiculous. I didn't stop living my life and hoped for this one jumpsuit. But I also had no other outfit choices. Um, right before I left, it like tore 
and I was going to just like have to sew most of it. And um, I don't know, there's a whole there's a bunch of issues with it where I just sew like the jumpsuit externally myself by hand. And it was this very, very specific color. I liken it to Max Lady Danger lipstick. It is this orangey red that is super specific that when you look at it, it's a common color, but it actually is a hue of red that's hard to match. And right before I went to the airport, I was like, I'm just going to have to sew this. I'll do it on the planer when I get there. Um, I went to go grab like a needle and red thread just like for whatever I could take. And I opened it. And in the top, there was like a spool of this fire red orange thread that matched the jumpsuit like to a T. Like couldn't distinguish one from the other. And I'm like, I, I know that I probably wasn't looking, but also this isn't even where the thread is. There's like two or three loose spools at the top and that fire red orange was one of them. And I just, I'm forever mesmerized at the things I find in there and how they always like help me in a pinch, even in like small ways, you know, I don't know. That's the sort of magic. I'm like, I know that's impossible. And I'm sure it's recent. Like, it's just a bias of like, I'm thinking about it. Therefore I see it. Otherwise I skip over it, but why not live in a world where somebody's able to subtly give you exactly what you need right when you don't think you have options, right? Okay, here's the part I haven't really elaborated on before, but I, I have Kelly's permission to talk through it because it's kind of important in terms of why my like head exploded when I found this heart, not only because of my business, but because of some different like conversations and things my sister and I had been through that we were connecting to her but didn't really know it like we kind of were like yeah that's a nice thought but we never really like I never solidified it in my head um I just hoped and then I almost felt like the hanging heart was like my confirmation of like hi I'm here I'm I'm helping out um and like I said it's it's so hard to tell stories sometimes on this podcast I'm like I'm the only one that signed up for it and other people haven't um and this is nothing that crazy by any means uh but my sister is awesome and so open and like we both are kind of believers and you have so much more to lose by hoarding your story and your life and your experiences than you do by sharing them um because i think so many people are often like isolated in decisions and they look to things that are somewhat public and impersonal to guide them because sometimes the deepest of issues are so personal you don't always talk to people in your regular life about them right and um Anyway, sorry, that that story is not even that that anything that crazy, but I just say that to thank my sister for letting me interweave her, you know, life and narrative into my story sometimes because she is so intertwined in it. But what we realized in retrospect, so over time, I kind of slowly realize that when I'm like stuck and have no options and almost like don't feel like I have the jurisdiction to make the call or I don't know what's best for me and where to go, I'm like stuck. I almost see it as like my form of divine intervention, you know, whether legitimate or not, it at least helps me break inertia. Uh, But the time when I didn't know who it was or what it involved, um, I wasn't tying to another situation going on kind of personally in that uh, my sister and I also think that she was kind of uh, moved from a situation where she didn't know which way to go, didn't know her options, didn't know how to really make the call. And we felt like she, my grandmother, intervened, as crazy as that sounds. The same year, so she's talked about it on the podcast before, the same year um, that I started Be There in Five and had two jobs and all this intensity and my mom and I are painting mats. It was just like the craziest year. An added part of the intensity is my sister happened to be going through a divorce. um, And 
it was a situation of a, something we had talked about, she and I, like privately for a while, that she didn't know if it was the right thing. And now he's remarried and everything's fine. It's it's nothing personal to him. Um, this intense period where I was kind of one of the only people that knew what was going on. And I don't think you should ever be the person to tell somebody to do something so monumental. Like th- some decisions in life need to be made without intervention. They can be made from the side, you know, with you well watching and supporting from the sidelines, but you don't need to sub in and you don't always need to share your opinion because the important thing is the person unequivocally reaches their own conclusion that they will never uh, resent you for or back down from because it was wholly theirs and not based on your input. So I had never really told her what to do or what I thought or which direction to go in, Um, which is kind of weird for a sister and kind of uncharacteristic of me now that I'm thinking about it. And maybe I should have. But I just was like, we were talking constantly. I was just there and listening and asking a lot of questions and kind of hoping she'd reach her own conclusion. And um, I never really said anything uh, until one night, uh, like out of nowhere. I mean, things were particularly like building and intense for obviously her. I wouldn't pretend for a second, even a fraction of that I felt. But I think we all know they're, you know, watching somebody you love uh in pain is a is a unique form of torture in and of itself not it's a job you wouldn't dare give to somebody else because it's wholly yours and your responsibility and you would support somebody even if you know they didn't want you to uh but it's there there is a level of emotional intensity there that another person can live through vicariously because they just say they want you to be okay right and i was definitely feeling the intensity of that at this time and um in addition to everything else that was going on and um one night like in the middle of the night i woke up in like a dead sleep like i woke up and gasped for air um and sat up and i had this overwhelming feeling of certainty and this overwhelming desire to call my sister and um tell her it would be fine that i saw her happy that it was the right decision that she needed to go and it was the best for both of them and I just like I know it sounds crazy and I'm not trying to give myself credit or anything at all. It's just like this is what I felt. And I had absolutely no clarity on the subject whatsoever before. I didn't really have an opinion either way because I didn't know I I didn't know what was right. I didn't want her to make the wrong decision and I didn't know how she'd feel after it. So I was always so nervous. I just like I don't know. I I, I woke up from a dead sleep with this intense feeling of certainty that I can only liken to like a spelling bee. Um, when you walk up to the mic and there's so much intensity and anxiety and adrenaline, there's so much on the line, but then they say the announcer says a word, you know, by heart and you are reciting it back with this like comfort that soothes your entire body, but the adrenaline's still there. The intensity is still there, but you have this certainty, um, that is, is kind of unmatched. And I don't know. I just, I felt like literally out of nowhere in the middle of the night, out of nothing, not even like a dream. I just had, I knew exactly what to say. I knew exactly um, what I felt comfortable recommending her doing. And I saw her on the other side happy and I saw that it was right. And I like knew it was right in my gut. And like, and maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm imagining things, but like, I just, I've never felt that way before. And um, for a situation that is so much at stake, I I just would never strong arm somebody's decision unless I felt like I I felt like somebody was speaking through me, if I'm being quite honest. And I know that sounds insane. And um, yes. And then that and there was a convergence of other things of her own conclusion and another friend that had randomly chimed in that night, too. And um, 
The next day she drove to my parents, told them, separated, and everything's fine now. It's been years. It was the better decision. It, it was for the best. Um, but when I kind of was explaining this to her after the fact, I was like, I, I was like, I hope you don't think I'm like making something up or blowing smoke. Like I cannot explain it. Like I, I've just never, I guess that's what people call like an epiphany. I guess it's what, like, I don't know. It's, I've just never felt like I, it wasn't me. It was like something like almost speaking through me or to me. And she made a kind of an offhanded comment. Like, I wonder if it was grandma and for context, my sister, uh, so I was really close with my grandma in my younger years, I, but I haven't lived in Richmond where she lived since 2005. Um, and, but my sister lived locally toward the end of her life. And when she was in a nursing home and my sister is the most incredible uh, person in general, but she's the, an incredible caretaker. And uh, she is so attentive um, to anybody that could even be bordering on a situation where they need her whether they ask for it or not, she is just uh, she actively cares for everyone in her life in an incredible way that she'll be mad at me for saying. <laughs> but uh, she was really close and attentive and there for she was really there for my grandmother toward the end of her life, uh, especially the last couple of years. And they were really, really, really close um, with, you know, she was very close to the adult version of Kelly, especially and when my sister said that, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I hadn't really thought about it as something like bigger. Because um, this so when this happened, this was 2014, I backed up. I found the sewing box in 2016 for context. So that wasn't on my radar at all. I wasn't tying anything together. Um, but then that summer, we told my parents kind of like the progression of things and how um weird it was that like on the same day she kind of was ready to uh make a call um you know one of her other friends like uh, called her up and said something and then like i woke up from a dead sleep being like no like i i felt like i could see it i could see it would be fine and i could knew exactly what had to be done and that we kind of entertained that it was um grandma because i think sometimes grandma she was so close with kelly she always worried about her like being too nice um we kind of hypothesize that maybe, you know, sometimes when somebody's in such an emotional place and they're lacking any and all lucidity and they wouldn't be seeking any sort of, you know, external input, especially not that that's so, you know, abstract or supernatural um, that like you almost need to speak through somebody else. And my mom was like, that's weird because. Uh, so like right before my grandmother passed away. Uh, and I've heard so many cases of this in the stories people sent me and in my own life, where when people are close to passing, they'll people think they're like uh, losing it. But really, I think they're connecting and they're bridging because she would start to talk about like her brother as if he was present and people that had passed like they were there. And she was talking about people that she hadn't seen in so many years uh, as if they were in her immediate life. And, um, you know, speaking in more detail before and then before. And um, one day before she died, she asked my mom, um, is uh, Kelly divorced yet? And at the time, Kelly wasn't married yet. Um, and my grandma was an incredible woman that was also a very conservative Southern Baptist. And she definitely didn't use the divorce word. I never heard her say it. And... Now, especially like and people wrote in, there's so many stories of when people are about to pass, they're like transitioning and like 
They see people in the room who they know. They talk about them like they're there. I'd argue there's a lucidity there that needs to be paid attention to that we just can't really understand. And now I almost see her randomly asking if she was divorced yet years before, like before she was married, before that was even like something that would even should cross her mind. I see it as like a, a premonition of sorts. If it, I, I, it, It's so specific. And it's funny because I think, you know, you say these things to other people and they may or may not resonate as much as they do with you. But uh, when you kind of combine everything together, you know, my sister and I having this incredibly like intense experience and speculating that a lot of kind of us tethering ourselves to these broader things kind of carried us through, um, you know, so I feel like my grandmother kind of appeared at Kelly's biggest time of need. And she then kind of proved her appearance during mine to confirm it with like something tangible, like the hanging heart when I was feeling incredibly stuck. Um, and I don't know. So I hold to that being a series of events where we were adults and dealing with more intense situations than we perhaps meant to get into or saw ourselves in, not knowing the best way to navigate it, especially in the event of not involving our own parents quite yet. Because you guys know, if you respect your parents' opinion and like care what they think, sometimes you have to tell them last because their input matters so much you almost won't be able to make your own call. And it's important we make decisions for our own lives. No disrespect to our parents, but, um, you know, I've talked about before, there's a point where they transition from managers to consultants and you and only you know what is best for your life. And sometimes it's better to go to people saying, I've made this decision rather than ask them their input on it if it's not going to ultimately affect them in the end. So that's why, like, the day after her driving to my parents is, like, such a big deal you tell you you tell your parents it's done i it, at least the way i see it uh the parents don't unhear they don't unsee they don't unthink and i don't it's not, it's not i don't want to call it a grudge i don't think they it's a grudge thing i think it's more so just like when you love something as much as your children you, you it's very hard to be objective and you really can't forget if so you feel like somebody's wronged them and i think we just like knew it was in our best interest to you know present a decision and not a dilemma <laughs> but anyways th so this like broader theme comes into play so many times there's another story with the kind of crazy coincidence involving my sister that i'll maybe tell in the second part um this is just kind of like a broader string of events when she and i were like going through a more volatile time that ultimately ended with her living here in chicago uh and then she left but i'm not mad i think it was like kind of a great um cap to her having several years where we were having difficult times, but living apart. And then we got to live together for a year, kind of reset. And, you know, hopefully it's on the up and up from here. But um, there's a few other examples that I have to tie into this that are important to stay, say, because my second breakdown involving the hearts was perhaps more poignant than the first, uh, because there were different like phases of business I was in. And I'm sorry to rehash this. I know some of you listened to how I built this or whatever. It's been a year and a half though. So what are you going to do? I'm just, I'll just repeat myself for story time's sake. And my first breakdown was like when I had grown it to a thing that like, oh, just like wasn't sustainable. And I was still, I was so integral to the operation and like, I didn't know what to do. And I, that, that was like a type of stuck that I felt um, that I almost was looking for like, a way out to just be like oh i had this other opportunity that seemed obvious and just like walk away from it but nothing ever happened so then i tried to make the most of the situation 
20 uh after i got married in like late 2017 early 2018 this is when i get more active on instagram when i'm like okay if i ever want people to follow me and not the mats i have to like do something else talk about something different like and i resented social media so much to the point where i wrote an angry poem about it and like got it published as a book <laughs> so like i really was not into putting myself out there on instagram but the only way i knew how was to talk about my own natural interests and that was to kind of like speak about pop culture and shows and things that i didn't have people to talk to in my immediate life about but in a way that i wasn't seeing elsewhere and this is kind of like when i started the version of me that exists now that i didn't really know i could hedge my bets on uh that i was really feeling very unsure about and um the fall of 2017 i like wrote the poem um i started shopping it around with like other ideas and stuff too i um really started ramping up applying to jobs i applied to so many jobs i applied to like well, my old company that didn't like ha like they had no interest in having me back once again. Um, I applied to like the Dyson, the Dyson's, I think, based out of Chicago. And like they had just come out with that hair dryer, And I like wanted to be on the marketing team and like really tried to hard sell it. They weren't interested. I tried to work at Via, the Uber and Lyft um, competitor that does optimized routes. I applied to like so many different like brand manager type things at like big CPG companies, cosmetics brands, things like I knew I'd be good at. And I actually had the relevant background for nobody understood. It's like I just taken on the world, building a business from the ground up with no investment, just like I, I'd figure out every discipline imaginable and nobody was impressed. Like they want a narrow, specific, specialized business for what they already did. And they didn't want somebody who was resourceful or could figure it out, which I understand. But I did not realize that leaving my job would put me in the position where I was all of a sudden uh, the jack of all trades that could felt like they could do anything yet wasn't specialized enough to be worthy of any job vaguely within the trade that I had left. Two years is long enough to be deemed irrelevant to it, I guess. So this even more so than 2016, 20, early 2018 was like a new type of rock bottom. Um, I had been doing, you know, the Instagram thing. Uh, trying to like get on people's radar. I got a dog. I was applying to jobs. I started selling artwork. I was just like throwing darts, trying to like find something to bring me joy to hang on to, to give me purpose. And like I said, with my Enneagram earlier, I'm incredibly, if not problematically driven by meaning and purpose. Uh, and with like the entrepreneurial journey, I at least felt connected to like that part of my story about feeling like I'm not a genius. I'm so underqualified. I'm not meant for this job whatsoever. But people, you know, you'll rise to the occasion. You'll figure it out. And I still feel strongly about that. Um, but I don't feel strongly about tethering oneself to goals you made out of context and feeling like you're unable or you shouldn't be allowed to revisit your goals, detach yourself from them and develop new goals. Because as Jessica Simpson so astutely said in her memoir, um, you need to be able to walk away from your goals to uh see what life has in store for you because it's so far better than what you've planned right and i really do believe that i mean i hugely paraphrase there but that, that was my takeaway but at the time uh i was just trying to do anything and when you really are so low and don't have anything to look forward to and and don't know where which way is up uh which way is out more importantly you kind of it forces you to get back to basics and it forced me to be like, who am I? What do I like? What value can I bring to the world? And that the one thing like I really just associate myself with to my core of who I was as a child is is writing and specifically poetry. 
Um, you know, that they, they've talked about that before at length of why I'm so attached to that. And I just really like, I don't know, I like desperately wanted to be able to call myself a writer to like be able to have parlay this into something else. And the week of Valentine's Day 2018, I had like a mental breakdown, like on the ground, <laughs> uh, losing it of like, I, 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 there, I have nothing. I have nowhere to go. Like I'm, I made myself obsolete to my business. No one will hire me. I, ha I feel like I have worked my ass off for absolutely nothing. Nobody cares. Um, and I don't know. I, that was like one of the first times I've ever been like, I like called out to the universe. I was like, I need a sign. Can somebody tell me what to do? Like for the love of God, I need something. Um, and I just had a, I don't know, I was losing my mind. And the night before, actually, I had shared my hanging heart story on Instagram, um, on stories, which is kind of funny. But within, and I hate, then this sounds like, this is probably, you know, this is probably a coincidence, but it's just weirdly, this week of Valentine's Day, I have had so many things happen. Um, and within 24 hours of my, like, full-on emotional breakdown on Valentine's Day, I had an email that was the first publisher that was interested in publishing and ultimately did publish my first book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. Um, and that was like the biggest break at that point I'd ever gotten in my career because it was the first place that co-signed that I was capable of something else uh, that didn't require me to have some sort of broad, elaborate background in a trade to be able to perform it, rather just said, I like this. I think you're talented. I want to, you know, hedge my bets on it. That was hands down the most important thing that happened for me mental health wise in 2018 that propelled me to that gave me any momentum that kept me moving forward. And two weeks later, I started the podcast, which is something I really wanted to do because I felt like I had something to say. I felt like I liked I was good at talking to people. I was I was good at analyzing pop culture in a way that combined my market research background and analytics and also paired with my you know shallow nature to just like dish about nonsense and um, so that February, I got my book deal and I started the podcast. And then I was looking at um, my this. So that was two years ago. And I was on Instagram the other day, I posted not the other day in February. I posted something that said, let me find it. Hold on. It said this week is weirdly important. So I posted this on February 16th or 17th. Um, Six years ago today, this mat went viral, and it's a photo of the mat getting, you know, over 200,000 likes in a 24-hour period that, like, launched the entire Be There in Five career. So six years ago, the mat went viral. Five years ago, I put in my two weeks. I ended up staying on for, like, a month, I think, because I commemorated my five years of self-employment with my one-minute video. But there's a reason I stayed on longer. I forget. Anyways, but yeah, I put in my, I, I said I was going to quit in, uh, during that time in February, the mat went viral in February, the year prior, two years ago, I started the podcast and signed my book deal around this time in February. Um, last year in 2018, I had a full page spread with tugboat in my home down paper about, um, my book, which was kind of like a huge full circle moment for me because the last time I was published in that paper was when I'd written a poem about feeling ugly on the outside and about inner beauty only mattering. And it was in the year 2000. I entered a poetry contest for my local paper. It got published. People made fun of me for that poem. Obviously, that's a bit vulnerable and intense for a seventh grader. 
Um, and I just felt like me being published again, but with like a full page spread was like a, such a taking back the narrative moment of my poetry actually getting me somewhere in life that like I'll forever be empowered by. Um, so that was last year. And then I said this year, I finally learned Renegade. <laughs> so lame. Topical joke. I did. Um, but that wasn't the point. And I said, JK, it's my 100th episode and marks my fourth live show. Um, I wish I felt more at ease or accomplished, but perhaps that's the point. We raise our own bar. I truly do not understand how this has evolved from the literal ground up in the past six years. And TBH, I don't know where I'm headed, but it's been a hell of a ride. Thanks to the store, Matt, for teaching me I was never meant to be one. Um, so weirdly, in that Valentine's week of February, and as you know, my hanging heart said to my Valentine grandma... And obviously hearts having to do with Valentine's, um, I kind of started to piece together how many like meaningful things would happen during this otherwise really de dead and dull time in, in February. Um, it also happens to be the time surrounding my dad's birthday and also when my mom's mom passed. And sometimes like when I the first time I got that email after like my mental breakdown, when I asked for a sign, I was like in my head it brought me a lot of comfort to like think my two grandmothers were like in cahoots <laughs> um and it still does but uh anyway what's crazy too and i can't really elaborate right now in that i realized when i was recording this i texted courtney um that something else that week that's incredibly like could be incredibly important for my career did happen that week besides me learning the renegade and it being my 100th episode or whatever that I didn't know happened at the time that I found out like about a month later. Um, and I will update you on if and when that happens. It's nothing that like really affects you or you might not even really be that impressed by, but something that like, I don't know. Uh, so stay tuned on that. That's just like a kind of weird moment. I just recently had as well as me wearing the toi and moi sweatshirt while I went back into the sewing box to make my mask right before I was about to record this. Anyway, craziness all around, but, um, Definitely is an important, uh, Valentine's time is always important for me. And when I met Greg, like our second date was Valentine's day, which I remember thinking like was incredibly bold at the time. And like, I had always wanted to be somebody's Valentine. Nobody ever took me out because like, that's kind of, you know, you're giving somebody an idea in terms of your level of commitment there. And, um, I remember where I was sitting when I got the text of him, like wanting to go out and being like, oh my God, I've only been on one date. Like this is like, nobody's ever wanted to like put that kind of time or effort into me and um beyond that he like knew how much i liked rom-coms and like stupid movies and he offered to take me to go see valentine's day on valentine's day that movie with like taylor swift and jennifer garner and ashton kutcher and the cast of characters also the, the people that made new year's eve um valentine's day is like love actually if love actually was the worst movie you've ever seen in terms of like the <laughs> volume of subplots, uh, the, the star power and uh, but the, the, the strength of Valentine's Day is not there anyway. Um, so looking back, that's kind of an interesting thing of that being like a monumental and important date uh, for Greg and I when a lot of things changed. And um, I also was like another time I was like barely hanging on. I was like nauseous, sick, crazy about my first live show in December just kind of feeling very much like an imposter. Like I'm not a performer. I'm not an entertainer. I'm not an actor. Everybody else who gets into podcasting gets into this line of work, like wants to be famous, wants to hit the big time. I'm a person who like wants to talk and relate to people. And I don't have, I don't want to be famous. I just 
I want my words and my input and my contribution to be, but I, I don't need to be. And I kind of felt like this weird version of myself that was like trying to get on stage and do something. And like, I was really psyching myself out. And my mom, I don't know if you or anybody else's parents do this, but she, she'll like send me one thing, but then she'll send me like 12 other things that she like wants to get out of her house. <laughs> and she sent me like a stack of papers because I, I actually have been going through a lot of my old nostalgic stuff, like for this podcast and stuff to reconnect with my younger self. But um, she sent me like a stack of papers that w- they were like drawings from somebody in the early 1900s that, that dating back in our family and some other things. And there was randomly this program. It's like a Chicago playbill. I'm actually looking at it right now um, for the play Kiss Me Kate, which is a musical. And um, I live in Chicago right now. It's kind of random that I live here. No, you know, it's not really like a place my family's from at all. And I think my mom sent it to me like, oh, cute, you're about to do a show. And this, this is a Chicago playbill and it's for the play Kiss Me Kate. That's your name. Um, but I open it and on page five, of course, I see that it's from 1949 and it's for the opening uh, week that started the week of December 5th, 1949. My sh- live show is on December 5th um, and, you know, in Chicago. And my name is Kate. And um, then I turn the, the the cover again and look at the front. And sure enough, the the logo of this play is a. It's Kiss Me Kate, but it's a giant lasso. And at the end of the lasso string, uh, you guessed it, is a hanging heart on that string. And uh, it was the same date in the same town for something on a stage when I was feeling incredibly anxious about doing something on a stage. And um, it's things like that that are perhaps pure coincidence, perhaps random synchronicity. I don't know, but that I, I feel like I would be remiss to not put some stock into because it is helped me always make the right decision that inevitably led me to something bigger and greater than my plans ever could. And I think that's the entire point of divine intervention is to alert you and to try to get your attention when somebody else can see something you can't that is at the time painful or uncomfortable or perhaps worthy of of settling or going another direction, but that you should push forward and keep hanging on regardless. And that's certainly when I see these things and why they've meant a lot to me over time and why I hope that if there's any connection or any additional validity you can find in anything you've seen or experienced, um, you harness it and you own it and it doesn't need to be believed or understood by anybody else. All that matters is that you are able to connect to somebody who's looking out for you and who knows you have huge things in store at the moments when you feel incredibly small. There's a couple... to keep within a couple hours there's a f- couple other ex- like s- small stories i can tell but um of just like coincidences and signs so two years ago when my grandfather passed away my mom's dad she, um he as you know my icebreaker during icebreaker games of my fun fact is that my grandfather invented the ice maker the, <laughs> the modern in-home refrigeration device ice maker uh and before you think i have like toaster strudel inheritance i'm an heiress when you work, when you, you know, your name is on a patent that you develop for a company you work for, the company is one that ultimately banks off of that one. Um, I mean, he's incredibly successful and brilliant. And um, I'm so inspired by like all the things he did. Um, but it's a lot, just an FYI, it's a lot more lucrative if you patent something yourself and then sell it to somebody instead of do it while you're at a company. Uh, but anyway, he um my if you listen to my mom's patreon a big like a hallmark of her childhood was uh they always had like the latest and greatest appliances because he worked for frigidaire which was owned by general motors at the time 
and they tested out all these new appliances in their home that he had uh, worked on. He was an engineer. And like my mom's family was one of the first to try out like the modern microwave. And she was like, said they were all, you know, saying, well, what would you use this for? Like, this is pointless. And meanwhile, now it is the really the only way I eat because I don't love to cook. Um, And anyway, so he worked there on these specific appliances for a specific time. When he passed away, we all went to Ohio um, for his service. My family stayed in this like random Airbnb and inside the Airbnb, um, not only was uh, a giant, like a big canvas of where I had just gotten married in Italy, like a pretty specific area. Um, there's also like a bottle of wine that had his name on it. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is, that's like, that's so cute. And like small little things. But then also his house had like a, a, a perfectly pristine 1962 Frigidaire Flare, um, like cooking range stovetop oven combo. That's this really specific vintage version of a kitchen appliance um right when my you know grandfather was working there that is so old it's like borderline unsafe to keep around like it makes sense to have old appliances from like the 90s 80s maybe even late 70s but an early 1960s uh stovetop where it's like a drawer that you pull out i mean it, it, it was old 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 i don't even know if it still functioned but for some reason this house had updated everything else but kept that really old appliance that, like my mom recognized and i just thought that was like an incredibly special thing for her to like be amongst like his life's work and a thing like I had never actually seen an appliance he'd worked on because they were older. Um, That was really special. And then when we were leaving the Airbnb, like, you know, when there's a a funeral and everyone sends flowers and you give them out to people, whatever, my mom had kept um, one random bouquet to leave in the house for, you know, whoever lived there and the owner comes by right as we're like checking out and we're talking for a bit. My mom said, I hope you don't mind. I just I grabbed these flowers um, from like the service and, you know, wanted to give them to you. They're beautiful and like still fresh. And the guy kind of like glazes over and um, then tells us that his he's like he's Airbnb in this house because his wife recently passed away and, you know, doesn't want to live in the big house anymore. And that every like the the sign that she sends him like every time he needs to know she's there is through uh white roses her favorite flower and sure enough my mom had picked the bouquet a giant bouquet of just white roses um to leave for him amidst this house where we had all these like signs and symbols and i always thought that was really beautiful i also laughed because um my mom called me told me he had uh passed and i took tugboat on a walk and we passed a catholic church and um obviously i've a you know <laughs> strained relationship with the church but i culturally identify as as christian and, and so much of my family's catholic and, and still go to church with them and stuff it's not like i'm raging against it uh but i kind of was like you know what like i'll go i'm gonna go sit on the stoop of this catholic church and say a prayer and talk to grandpa and uh i we go over to the church and sit on the stoop and like out of no, like then out of nowhere, like the church bells, like ring, like the the bells like ding like once or twice. And it was like so loud and alarming. Like my dog, like he like flew, like he he was so scared. I was so jarred. And I looked at the time and it was like, Oh seven or Oh eight. It was like an obscure time. It wasn't like an Oh, a zero or a five or an hour or a, a half hour. 
And I was like, that's so weird. And I was like, right when we sat down, and I was like, Grandpa, is that you? Because at this time, I was like very open to signs. And the reason I'm laughing is because um, I called, um, I, I was kind of like struck by it. And I was, when I was walking home, I was like, I just need to know, is that like normal um, for the bells, like the church bells during that time? Like I live nearby and I don't really ever hear them except twice a day. And uh, I called the church and like the priest answers. And um, I'm like, hey, I know this is weird. I sounded like a little emotional. I was like, I just, I was walking by and I sat down to say a prayer and like the your bells rang and it was like, it's, you know, I don't know, 11.08 or something. Is that like a normal time they usually ring? And the guy was so rude to me. He was like, I don't know. Sometimes they're like, I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, can I help you? And I was just like, oh, sorry, no. And it was like an uncomfortable interaction. He ended up hanging up on me. And I was like, okay, well. Hi to you, Grandpa. Thank you for the sign. Glad this, <laughs> I know this meant a lot to you, but alas, I still have a very strained relationship with the church. <laughs> they can sniff me from the phone. Um, but anyways, that always kind of made me laugh, but also, you know, for a moment gave me a, a sense of comfort. And um, there's another like kind of weird thing that's a little spookier. That's like a coincidence that I have no meaning behind, but I just will never forget. Um so when I I lived in San Francisco um, for a little bit of time during my rotational program at my job, the objective was like we lived in New York and Chicago, San Francisco, and then we kind of had to apply within our company to get like a full time job following like the two years after we graduated. Part of like my contract was like to go out to the West Coast. I was in San Francisco. I was entertaining the idea of a job there. And um, my mom would come to visit me in any every city I lived in. And we always had a blast. And I was struggling a bit in San Francisco and my mom comes this one weekend and things are just like off and it's not our relationship, but like it's super dreary. Things aren't going our way. We come across so many situations where we feel borderline unsafe. Um, I remember my mom at one point is kind of like, I don't see you living here. I don't know if this is the right place for you. I don't really feel safe with you being here. And it was kind of this weird thing where like she she will support me to the ends of the earth if it's something I really feel like I need to be doing, but and doesn't really step in um, before I've even made a decision typically. But she was like concerned about my safety and felt uncomfortable with me living there. And I just can't even describe energetically. It was kind of a weird weekend and uncharacteristic for my mom and I. And when she left, I was like bawling. And I just like, I, 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 had a, I don't know. I had a very weird time living there. Um, and that weekend kind of like, I don't know, reinforced my discomfort. Um, and it's no nothing about San Francisco specifically. I lived in kind of a weird spot. There's like a series of things that happened and, um, I think that what's interesting is if you ask anybody's opinion about any city, it's not like how it actually is. It's their experience there. And I was kind of in like a tougher time when I lived there. But anyways, this specific weekend was particularly a bit dark, despite my mom being there and us usually just having the best time. And again, we got along, but there was this like overarching energy. And long story short, um, close, very close family friends that my parents known for years um, specifically when they were younger, uh, the same weekend my mom was in San Francisco, my parents' friend's daughter, who lives in San Francisco, lived in San Francisco, but was 20 years older than me, so I wasn't friends with her directly, um, 
this is terrible. She was very uh, horribly, tragically murdered in her apartment um, by a stranger the Friday my mom was in town. And we were like basically down the street from where she lived and um, obviously didn't know that at the time, figured it out when she got home and they called me. Um, and it, it kind of was just this weird uh, situation where, I don't know, we kind of felt like things were inexplicably off. It's weird that she was there that specific weekend. Um, me and the, the, the woman who, who was killed, we have, a, you know, something in common that kind of grounds us as being like both of our dad's daughters who, who were very close, um, especially when we were young. I hadn't seen her father and since I was very young. They lived out on the West Coast. And um, I don't know. I can't really explain it. I, I ended up going to the service on behalf of my family. They didn't know I lived there. Um, hadn't seen me since I was very, very young. Didn't, you know, look anything like I did then. Um, and when I went up to say hello to the family, they, like, recognized me right away. And it was, like, very intense and emotional and an important experience for me. I almost felt like <clears throat> for the her father to be so close with mine and us both be their daughters and have something in common and me be there. And he hasn't seen me in a long time. And I, I just, I, I felt so like connected to them and it just was an interesting lesson for me. And, um, the, the ways we feel interconnected, not always being as direct as maybe we think or realize, but having so much broader meaning to people that we've connected with in the past or that were part of their life in some indirect way. Um, I, I don't know. It was, it was, I, I, I'm not even explaining it well, but the weird part is that I can't get over that spooky that I hate that I like suppress out of my brain, but I feel like it's worth saying, well, two things. One, the reason I'm telling you this story is because, um, she w was killed by a person that was posing to be a utility worker in her building that she opened the door for under the premise of a gas leak. And, um, if my podcast ever has any purpose in this life, uh, I've always, I always hesitate to like tell, you know, personal stories, but like I, all I, beyond any specifics for the, please, 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 for the love of God, anyone that needs to come into your apartment to work on anything should have access to your phone number to call you in advance, to tell you in advance, to schedule it in advance. And you do not need to open your door for anybody, regardless of what they say. And even when it seems it's like something innocuous or something impossible or in, given the, the context, it's perhaps that's when you need to be the most vigilant about your own safety and don't get too comfortable and don't be too trusting. People can use things like that as a means to scare you and to get you out of your apartment or to get you to open the door. I don't care if it's, you know, a delivery, it's a gas leak, it's a utility worker, it's a person posing as some sort of super landlord, whatever, like, if they are legit and if they should be allowed access to your home, they should have proof and they should be able to plan and schedule and contact you in another means besides knocking on your door. If they can contact you in another way, that's how you probably know it's legit and do never feel badly or like you're doing something wrong by not letting somebody in your home. You have the right to refuse anybody outside of a search warrant that comes to your home. And I just, especially women, that especially if you live alone, please, please, please be mindful of that and carry that with you going forward because in an otherwise uneventful night and um, like a Friday at like 7 PM when they're like, it's not even like people are asleep. It's not even like there weren't neighbors and people out and about like these things can happen fast and you can get overpowered and just, you can never be too safe or too cautious and please, please, please watch out for yourself. And that is where I will end that. 
spiel. Um, but the weird coincidence that I can't get over is that that following weekend um, after, you know, the service and whatnot, I was in a, I, I hailed a taxi with my friend and I was telling her about my weekend, what had happened. Um, and the cab driver was like, oh, my God, I drove that guy last weekend from insert neighborhood here where it happened to insert park here where he was ultimately found. I don't know if it was the same night. I don't know if it was right after. I didn't ask any details. But all I knew is that the man who who killed this woman that my family has a close tie to tragically and that was very raw and recent in my mind that I just attended the funeral of this cab driver was telling me he had just driven that that monster of a man to wherever he went to like get away and like I literally and in the reason the cab driver knew is because this they just released that they had found out who it was um and I still can't process it or talk about it like I because I don't know why I would be in the same cab I I, I I can't even explain how much that spooked me and maybe reiterated how badly I wanted to leave. And um, it just like, of I don't know, it was weird that I even lived there during that time period. And my mom was there during that time period and like worried f- uncharacteristically for my safety and told me not to live there. And it was but like beyond weird for me to happen to hail the same cab where that guy had taken that monster and he sat exactly where I was sitting and like it just scared me to my core um and yeah anyway that's just kind of a weird coincidence story that I have no meaning to or rhyme or reason to but I thought about it earlier and um I was like if anything I want the point to be for people to be really mindful of their safety um and I hope that sticks with you if nothing else so anyway sorry leaving on a dark note I feel like I just bared my soul in this episode. I'm feeling very vulnerable, but I guess, alas, that is the heart on the string. You're barely hanging there, but it doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. Um, I, yeah, I think I've been a little resistant to do this episode because it's heavier and I don't want to burden people in already a stressful time. I, I kind of feel like the other one maybe got deleted because I needed to tell more stories or be more open or something because I was really kind of glossing over my own stuff and an effort to get to other people's, which are more important to me, but um, perhaps there's a reason I needed to be telling some of the stories I told tonight. And I, I hope you weren't bored and I hope it was a good use of your time. And um, for the next installment, um, I will tell some other stories just to break it up of the ones people sent in for part two. And for now, I'll just put this up tonight because I need to get the podcast out. And I don't know, just felt called to tell you a little bit more about some of my own personal experience. So I love you guys. You're the best. I'm going to play a song that sounds somber and I don't mean for it to, but like it's been in my head and on my mind and I've been listening to it a lot. And it's like, even though it's kind of sad and it sounds like it's about death, it's actually kind of not. It's about like, it's a metaphor for like how much he loves this person. And strangely, Hozier of all people, the, the take me to church guy, um, that I kind of bucketed the same as being like uh, hinder lips of an angel. Then I saw him perform in the Victoria's Secret fashion show and I was like, hello, I, I'm intrigued by this person. And I actually quite like a lot of his music. Um, and I just kind of bucketed him with like Tinder or Creed or something. I don't know what I was thinking, but this song, Work Song, I love. It's poignant. It makes me want to like write. It makes me want to like live. It, it, it kind of is transcendental to me in a way just based on how it sounds alone. And I uh, hope it's not too dark or anything, but I think people will enjoy it, especially given the tone of this Uh 
So anyway, guys, you're the absolute best. Thank you for listening. I'll post part two as soon as I record it. Then I shall post. Thank you for your patience during these uncertain times. I will also uh, post the interview with Hitha. Part two of Signs this of this episode will be on the regular iTunes. Hitha's will probably be on Patreon because it's more of a bonus episode uh, about a specific topic. So I try to separate out the catalog into more niche versus broad topics. And yeah, our PowerPoint party for Patreon and the Facebook group is on Friday. Uh, be there and invite totally casual, breezy Facebook group. You can look it up. Um, I let people in in waves of maybe like every two, three weeks. Uh, there's a bit of a backlog right now, but it's a bunch of people that didn't answer the questions. You won't get in, get in if you don't answer the questions. And we started kicking out people that have multiple posts reported. So we're, we're running a tight ship. I'm getting, I'm cracking down more. I've given uh, some of the mods in the group are my personal friends. Some are people I've met through um, the podcast and the book and whatnot. And uh, just people that I trust that understand what I care about, what I want the brand, if you will, to be about. And kind of like... The, what I value as it relates to that line between like snarky and mean spirited. And half the time I don't even catch it and I'll see something that's like 200 comments deep. And I'm like, okay, I should have caught this earlier. The damage is done. Um, and some days and weeks I'm really strict. Sometimes I'm, I'm off it because Facebook stresses me out too much. And I'm just like, so eternally grateful to have these mods that just like understand it and that work hard to keep it a, a safe as space as they can we're getting more diligent about booting people that are not being cooperative, who are talking shit, who are whose comments are getting consistently reported, just being like disrespectful to how we want the group to be run. Like, I just I don't want to feel bad about deleting stuff that I don't feel like isn't nice. I <laughs> I I just feel like it's important and I don't want to over censor people, but I want it to be an escape and I want it to be breezy. That's why it's called that. And there's a million places on the internet where you can talk shit and I don't need it to be under, you know, in my name. So I just want, I, whatever. I was saying that because I wanted to thank personally the mods of the Facebook group that a lot of you are in because they've been having, they've been like really paying close attention, especially like when I'm on, dipping in and out of Facebook because it stresses me out. I believe in constructive criticism and feedback and I believe in snarking on behavior, but I do not believe in snarking on people's individual character or family members. Um, and I just wanted to thank personally the mods of the Facebook group who've done such a good job. Um, Marissa, Devin, Adrian, Kelly, Lindsay, Courtney, Molly, uh, you guys are the best. I don't know what I did to deserve you and your close level of attention to something that I am often far too anxious to do. And uh, God love you. I've just never personally called them out and just wanted to say that. But Facebook groups are like why people get on Facebook. And it seems innocuous, but like they are they they're forces and this is where conversations happen and i love mine i don't want anybody to be discouraged from talking but there are days when it gets to be a, a lot especially during a stressful time where you just feel like the vibe is negative you know um so anyways it's just it's been an interesting experience but i am perennially grateful to anybody that uh cares enough to be a part of this community and i love 99.9 percent .9 of you to the moon and back um anyway guys Hope you liked this episode. I will see you soon with the second part. Check patreon.com slash be there and vibe for bonus content. And I hope everybody is hanging in there. Just remember, when you think your heart's about had the last of it, it might just mean the best part is around the corner. So keep holding on. Keep hanging in there. And if I've learned anything from life, it's that most of my breaking points have ultimately been breakthroughs. And... No matter how low things get during these days, I try to remember that. 
Better things are always in store. Okay, love you tons. As always, let me know your thoughts, and I will let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Time comes around, let me tend in the cold dark.